0: Welcome, y'all. My name is Joseph Solomon. Uh, I'm not one of the pastors here. I'm actually just a, a layman member here preaching this this morning. I'm so glad to have you all here. If, you, if this is your first time here, we're we're thankful that you're here with us. Uh, we know that we're just one of a, a host of great churches in the Atlanta area that you could stop by. And so the fact that you stopped by, we don't take it lightly. So we're thankful that you're that you're here. Uh, normally, we would do like a a topical series. Or we would go through like a particular book in the Bible all the way through. Um, so we just finished up Proverbs, and then we're gonna do, I believe, a, a short thing on Habakkuk, and then and then we're gonna move to the book of, of Matthew after that. But for now, we're doing a, a couple of uh, stand-off, stand-alone uh, sermons. So that's what I'm I'm doing this morning, and uh, I'm excited about it. I, I need to forewarn y'all. Uh, I have this thing called angioedema. I don't. Anybody have angioedema? Am, am I alone in that? I am alone. All right, it's that that rare. It is that rare. So rare that y'all didn't even know what I was talking about when I said it. So essentially it means that my face could swell up at any given time in my life, uh, usually in the morning. Uh, So like my lip, my eye, tongue, whatever, like just swells up really big. And so uh, the problem with that, the only thing that helps sort of sustain that to not get it crazy where I look like Hitch or whatever is taking Benadryl. Uh, So I had to take Benadryl this morning. So I try to offset that with coffee. So if I get a little loopy, at some point it's cool. I had one girl come to me and said, I know the cure for for angioedema. I know how that you can overcome this. And I'm like, all right, cool. What's the trick? She's like, yeah, I have it too. And and it's gone now. It's gone. You can get rid of it too. I'm like, cool. Like, what is is the cure? She was like, you got to go vegan. I was like, I'm just going to stick with the Benadryl (laughs) and just... uh, (laughs) I'll just stick with being loopy. So um, so what we're going to do, like I said, we are going to uh, sort of, normally we, we go through a particular book of the Bible. So if we're coming to a passage, it's easy to just sort of walk up to it. Like we're taking our time. We're seeing the scene go up. Um, but instead, today what we're going to do, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. And instead of walking up to Exodus chapter 3, we're going to sort of imagine that you're in a plane. And you're flying over Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 2. And then we're just going to parachute in to Exodus 3. We're going to drop right in there. So if you don't mind, would you stand with me to read God's word? And we're going to move to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. And we're going to read all the way through verse 15. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles under the chairs if you're first time with us or you're new. Or if if you're not new, there's a Bible under the chair for you to read. And if you don't have one that you own yourself and you would like one, consider that as our gift to you. So Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. It says, then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. And I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hithites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring them, the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, it is your word that stands alone. It's your word that is powerful. It is your word that speaks. It is your word that can cut through our hearts and see all the nooks and crannies and and, and, and corners and dark spaces and light spaces in our hearts, God, and be able to discern What we should do, God, it is by your spirit that we understand your word It is by your spirit that we can apply your word and know and understand it. God, I pray that this morning that you would not use my my speech as it may be a little loopy. God, God, I pray that you would give me clarity of mind and thought and speech as I simply try to explain your word. God for your word is strong enough to stand on its own two feet. Lord, uh, be with us this morning. Uh, lead us into worshiping you we pray these things in Jesus name amen you may have your seats all right so like I said we're gonna get right into this we're gonna we're gonna we parachute down into Exodus 3 um, we're still sort of in a new year in a sense 2019 top of the month and as I considered what the Lord would have me do this year I, I, I know some people are, are a sort of not fond of New new Year resolutions. I'm totally for it. Um, This sort of recalibration of like, man, what is my mission? Like, what am I doing with my life? And I believe uh, this is still a great time to consider that, not just simply as an individual, but as a church, as a community of people who walk together, whether that be as Cornerstone in general or even in our small groups, the people that we do life with on a regular basis, What is the mission of God for us? What does God have for me to do this year and for the rest of my life? Because if God has something to do for this year, then ultimately we would hope that that falls in line with his greater plan for your life. And I believe that Exodus chapter 3 gives us a a pretty good case study, if you could say, on knowing what the mission of God is. The, The mission of God's people only becomes clear when God starts identifying some things. And so I hope that this morning, uh, God through His Word will identify some things for you and for us. Is that cool? All right, so we're in we're in Exodus, and I'm gonna give this is we're in the plane now. All right, so we're flying over Exodus chapter one, chapter two. Look down, and you'll see Exodus chapter one and chapter two on the ground. So Exodus is written after the fact. If you're familiar with this 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 passage of Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery. And it starts right here. This is the culmination of it. this is where the movie starts. And so Moses is set to lead them out. And this book is written after the fact. Okay, this is not Moses walking across the Red Sea and be like, hold on, guys, let me write this down. This is some really cool stuff happening. People are going to want to know about this. No, it is written far after the fact. And so with that in mind, now that the people of Israel have escaped from Egypt, they must be educated or at least reminded of what has happened. Because there's some people who have been there, possibly some people who were born later on. They, they weren't even a part of this. Maybe they were children or whatever it may be. They must be educated and reminded of what has happened. So we have an overlapping audience in a sense. We have, one, the audience, the, the people that we're reading about here, keep this in mind, people who are there. They have been, they were the ones who were part of the exodus or people who are looking back to this. They weren't part of it, but they're reading back to this. And so this, uh, these are events of people that have even known about or this is their first time. And so if Israel is going to pe- be a people on purpose, a, pur- a people with a purpose on purpose, if they're to be a people that's going to be on mission for God, they must realize a few a few things. And so here's the flyover of Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2. Israel is growing rapidly in Egypt. The people of Israel are growing rapidly. Um, And the leadership of Israel does, I mean, the leadership of Egypt does not like that at all. They hate him. So basically what happens is he puts the people of Israel in, in slavery. And Moses is born in this time of the Israelites being put in slavery and also a demand that all boys would be killed. All baby boys, all boys being born would be murdered. So Moses is born in this context. Some of you are familiar with this. Have you ever watched the movie Prince of Egypt? It has a great soundtrack. It still is good to this day. So Moses is born as a Hebrew, and he's kept from infant, uh, infant side. He is snuck into the very kingdom of Egypt and is raised as an Egyptian. But some point in his life, he realizes that he's not an Egyptian. And he looks over and sees the oppression. The the harsh treatment of his people and out of frustration, Moses kills somebody. And I didn't know that growing up as a kid. I don't know why I missed that part. Of the story, I always thought about the Red Sea and, the, you know, the lamb and, you know, over, putting the blood on the doorpost. I didn't know that Moses has killed some people in the past or at least one person in the past. And so out of frustration, he retaliates in murder. And then Pharaoh finds out about this, puts a hit out on Moses. Moses, out of fear, runs and finds himself in a place called Midian. And Midian is a very comfortable place for him at this point. Now he finds himself a wife, finds himself a kid. He's got a job and a Twitter account, and he's just kind of chilling now. He's just on his own, far away from the problems of his people back in Egypt. And so Moses goes from one extreme to the other. Moses goes from being a hot-tempered, hot-headed murderer to a peaceful herder with a wife and a child and a Twitter account under witness protection. And so it's at this point that Moses notices as he's hurting, he notices a bush that is burning, but not consumed by this flame that it's burning in. And in that moment, God speaks to him in that fire. So that's where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter three. And So the first thing that we notice, if we're going to be on mission for God, if Moses is going to be on mission for God, there's something he needs to know about God. And so Moses sees this. And then God comes in and identifies himself. Number one, God identifies himself to Moses. Now it's interesting that Moses asks, if we notice in the passage, Moses asks, What name will I give them? This is to suggest that, again, the, the Israelites have been in slavery for quite some time now, so they're unfamiliar with who God is. Either they don't know him at all or they forgot. It's a very fond or I'm sorry, a very far off memory. And so Moses asks, what name will I give them? And so God has to identify himself to Moses. And so that is a key in and of itself. God identifies himself like Moses doesn't identify him. I know that in our culture today that we have a thought of like, man, if God is real, this is what he would be like. And So we want to identify who God is. But God alone identifies who God is. Don't speak for me. I speak for myself. I am who I am. Tell them I am who I am. God introduces himself. And this is also another interesting point. The fact that God is introducing himself at this particular time in history. There has been somewhat of like a 400-year gap from the end of Genesis, the book of Genesis, where things were going well for the Israelites, to now. For the most part, he's been working very much in the background. And it's at this point that God decides, I'm going to show myself. And what is the event that causes God to say, I'm going to come off my throne and come down? It is suffering of people. God identifies himself as the God who cares about the spiritual and physical suffering of people like that's his calling card like meet michael jordan we know him for having a very short run in baseball his acting career wasn't very great either space jam was a one-off one-hit wonder type thing got really lucky we also know he has a gambling thing he loves to gamble and he's pretty good at golf apparently but what do you know michael jordan for Um, I don't know about goat, but basketball. <laughs> I almost wore my LeBron jersey to preach today, but I thought that wouldn't be a wise thing. I thought that'd be distracting. It was, we know him for basketball. So God is about a lot of stuff. But if you read through the Old Testament and you want to get an idea of like, like who is he? What is he about? He's, a, he's about a lot of things, but ultimately we see that God is about the fatherless, the widow, the immigrant, the poor. That's, I'm about the vulnerable and he's about the worship of him. So God is about God. God is about the vulnerable. That's sort of like the, the calling card of who he is. And it's even more simplified here for, for the Israelites. Remember this, the Israelites had just left Egypt. Well, if you, if you focus later on again, this, when this was written, they've just, they've left Egypt or even if we want to put ourselves right here, the, the Israelites have been in slavery. They forgot about who God is They said, what name, what name will I give them? Meaning they don't even know who he is. So this is very fundamental. This is not additional theology for the Israelites. This is not an add on. This is very basic. Yesterday I had to reboot my Mac I'm an Apple guy and I had to reboot a lot of stuff or whatever. And so the, the frustrating thing about that is that you have to redownload a bunch of different pr- programs and stuff and plugins and drivers and all that. And you strip it down to all you have is the basic operating system. That's it. All you got is enough to make the system run. And so this is very similar to what the Israelites have right here. They don't have the Ten Commandments. They don't have Psalms or Proverbs. Ain't no Gospels. Ain't no letters from Paul. Ain't no systematic theology books. Ain't no podcasts. Ain't no creeds. Ain't no denominations. It's just this. And their theology is very simple. What they know about God is God is. I am who I am. God is. I am who I am. I see your oppression. And I've heard your cries. And I'm coming to rescue you. That's the theology. That God is. And God cares about suffering. And he's coming to rescue you. That's it. Like, you know, those little green Bibles that only have like the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs or whatever, like if Moses was to go back to Egypt. And tell people about God. He wouldn't even need the Green Bibles. That's too many pages. He just needs like an index card. He just says, look, God, this is the theology. God is, he cares about your suffering. And he's coming to rescue. Well, well, Moses like, how's he going to rescue us, man? He says something about a stick turning into a snake. I'm not really sure how all that turns out. I'm not really, don't worry about the particulars. I just know that God is and God cares about your suffering. Why he let us be in slavery this long? Man, I don't, you're asking too many questions. All I said was, we've been in slavery for 400-something years, Moses. Where God been? God cares. God is. That's their theology right now. God identifies himself. And he does it in a way that is very typical of God. That God commits to them before he commissions them. He makes a covenant with Moses before he even sends commandments. There's no Ten Commandments. There's no law at this point. It's just said, I'm coming to get you. I'm I'm with you. I'm giving you my relationship now. The rules will come later. But right now, I'm giving you myself. So God commits before he commissions Moses. And this is how he identifies himself as the God who covenants before he commands. So God identifies himself in the next the mission of God for us, if we want to know, if the want the mission of God to be clear for us, is that God identifies himself, and the next God identifies you with others. When God introduced himself to Moses in this passage, he doesn't simply, like, right after that, send him on this like, this personal quest for like, inner, inner searching and personal holiness, right? Like, let me let me go and be by myself and figure out some things within myself. Let me throw out all my secular music and stuff and all that. Kind of like this, get holy personally, right? He does what I think is very typical of God in the Bible and in general, not just with Moses, but he identifies Moses with others. He connects him to a group. Listen to this quote from uh, a guy named Christopher J.H. Wright. Uh, he had a book called the Old Testament ethics for the people of God. And he's talking about the social aspect of of the Old Testament. He says, the Old Testament is addressed to the individual as part of the community. And their purpose is not just individual uprightness, but the moral and spiritual health of that whole community. For God's purpose was not to invent a production line for righteous individuals. But to create a new community of people who in their social life would embody those qualities of righteousness, peace, justice, and love that reflect God's own character and were God's original purpose for humanity. When Moses got God, he got God's people. When you get God, you get God's people. By entering a covenant with God, he is de facto, by default, entering in a covenant with God's people. It's like family-in-law. I know you didn't slide into her dad's DM at 2 a.m., but when you marry her, you're going to get her father and all her father's problems, too. She got some brothers, as you know, like, man, I don't know how he hasn't been arrested yet because I've seen him do a lot of illegal stuff. You get everybody. And all of their problems. God identifies you with others. And I'm sure if Moses had known all the problems (laughs) that the Israelites would cause him. As they move on past this, if you continue to read through Exodus in the book of Numbers, you'll see there's a lot of, pro- you know, they started complaining. They, he gets them out of Egypt eventually, and now they're upset. And, and And Moses is probably thinking like, hey, Alexa, take these fools back to Egypt because they done got on my, I have one nerve, good one left, and it's sitting on it. They must. They don't even realize I've killed people before. I don't know if they know that. I, <laughs> I am a killer, so don't pu- don't push me. Right. So God identifies him with Moses. I'm sorry. Identifies Moses with his people. Even when Moses really hasn't been identifying himself with his people, he's using very distancing language. Notice he keeps saying the Israelites. What will I tell the Israelites? Not the Israelites. Your people, bro. Like you are Israelite. I don't know if you realize that yet. I don't know if you forgot. That's your people. This is your people. And we can't address this idea of God identifying you with others, particularly within this passage, without addressing something about another aspect of of social living. When you read through the Old Testament, a large portion of it is addressed to Israel as a people, not simply as an individual. When God addresses individuals, a lot of times it's leaders of people. But we want to think that God only addresses us as individuals. But God typically addresses people and he addresses people and their sin holistically. And much of the rebukes in the Old Testament are addressed to their mistreatment of the vulnerable. Because again, God is about God and God is about the vulnerable. Does God care about personal holiness? Absolutely. Like He cares about you know, the fact that you're maybe prideful, that you have a hot temper. He says about your sexual purity. We talk a lot about that in the church. He cares about all those personal things, but I think that we have a very lopsided theology that leans very much on personal holiness and not social holiness. Let's call it social. Because I know some people have a problem with the phrase social justice. Because like, I know of the connotation of it. And, it, you know, it's, it's Marxist, it's commun- communist, socialist. Type, like, okay. But w- that doesn't dismiss the issue here. Is that we're still called to do something socially. And not just do something, but be holy. Like, this is not simply about, like, man, we need to go do something. I need to protest or whatever. This is about your holiness. This is what, like, God cares so much about it. I would even go on to say that God, in the Old Testament here, as we read through the, even in the New Testament, And God cares so much about the vulnerable. He says, don't even come worship me. And God is about God. Like God is really, I told you about the calling cards. Like God is really, really about God. And he says, don't even come worship me because God is so much about God that he wants you to be the same meaning he wants you to reflect that and if you are not about the vulnerable you are not about God if you are not about the vulnerable then you're not reflecting God's character individually and corporately if if we as a group of people don't reflect that heart of God we don't reflect God this is not simply about activism it's about holiness he says, don't even come worship me until you take care of these things first. And he didn't lump in there like, don't even come worship me until you've like been abstinent for this long. <laughs> or, or, again, I'm not saying God doesn't care about that. But the overarching theme, I think we've, I guess it's a Western kind of individualism kind of thing where we've really honed in on the personal aspect of the Bible. And God is so socially oriented. God cares about our social holiness. If you want to start calling it that, don't call it social justice. Call it social righteousness. Call it social holiness because God requires it of us. A theology that primarily only involves you and God is a handicapped theology. A holiness that is only concerned with private affairs is a handicapped holiness. It's a truncated holiness. So I don't have to beat this this drum much more. I want to I continue. Like I know that there's much talk about this online and so forth, uh, and, but a lot of it is really when we start talking about like dealing with the, the the injustices in the world and the problems of the world. A lot of it is really just to show other people that we're outraged there's like no real plan of doing anything. It's just like I want to let y'all know I'm I'm upset about this too. And see Moses. Moses had outrage as well about the injustices that were happening to the Israelites like more than your tweet like he killed somebody like he was like (laughs) he was really about that. But. When practically considering a plan to relieve the Israelites, he was confused. He's like, who am I, God? Like, who am I to talk to? Who am I to talk to Pharaoh? He had an outrage with no plan. So as we consider practically how we go about reflecting God and caring for the vulnerable, we don't have to look too far. We're constantly trying to look at this massive picture, especially because of the Internet, like, we're so, we're so caught up in, like, all of the issues that are happening in the world that it gets overwhelming and, quite honest, just kind of paralyzing. Like, I want to do something, and I want to do something about everything. You can't. You can't. And so, therefore, we end up doing nothing because we're concerned about everything. And so, I think it gets a lot more... Simple. If we, if instead of thinking about everything, let's think about contextually, like where you're at right now. Like, like, where do you work? What skills do you have? Like, what what are you able to do? Like, what network do you have? Who are you linked to? Who do you see often? Like are you in a place already that you can think of where there are people who are vulnerable and you have? in some way, the ability or at least the resources to help somebody, to care for them. Like it, I know that there's so much going on in the news. I, I'm not going to even like waste my time like going through a list of examples. We already know. And the reality is you can't do anything about a lot of that stuff. So what can you do in Atlanta? What can you do here? God is not looking for people who stay comfortable in Midian, tweeting from Midian, right? God is like, okay, like, step out of that comfort zone and find out what you, like, Moses already practically had a passion for this. So what do you already have a passion for and what does that look like for you to take action in that? Like, what does it look like for you specifically to be holy in that regard? Again, this is not about trying to charge her up to be activist or whatever. I don't need I'm not an activist. I never that never really was my thing. Like but our thing doesn't have to be activism. Like our, our thing has to be holiness. And if and in a lot of ways that looks like activism, but you you have to be holy. Not just personally. You have to be holy socially. But again, it's not about the individual, like not just simply you being holy. Like God is calling for a group of people to be holy. He identifies you with others. And so God is calling you, firstly, I believe, to connect with a group of people. Like, essentially, God called Moses to relate to the Israelites in the same way that he related to Moses. Again, he commits before he commands. He covenants before he commissions him out. And so, so many times we want to do it the opposite. We want to command and then we'll commit. Like we want people to meet our standards. Like I'll join a church. I'll go, I'll be part of a small group. I'll dive all the way in when I figure out all the problems y'all got first. Let me assess the area first and then, and then I'll commit. It's just commit. There's going to be problems, period. Commit. And if we can't first commit to each other in that way, how in the world can we reflect that to the world outside of us? Committing in a way that says, man, I don't even know all the problems that will come with this. I'm just, trust me, I'm preaching to myself before I preach to y'all. I'd rather figure out all the the little details first before I say, man, let's go. God is calling me in this area. Let's go. But if we can't even do that among ourselves, how can we reflect that to the world outside of us? See, God wanted Israel to reflect that first. First, he wanted to reflect that to Moses. Then he wanted Israel to reflect that among themselves. And then he wanted them to go out and spread and be a blessing to the nations. It's really difficult to be a blessing to the nations when you're not even practicing being a blessing to each other. And this is not simply like a, a rag. I believe Cornerstone, in many ways, we, we do that. An example is my own, like, story. It's not a, I know y'all think I'm about to brag on myself. Like, I'm going to show y'all how I commit before I commission. You know, like, I found myself in Atlanta and, long story short, needing a place to stay. And um, uh, my you know, friends, man, good friends of mine now, Jonathan, and Andrea, I'm putting them on the spot now. But it just shows, like, this this committing before commanding type of love that God shows in that, man, I knew them for, I don't know, really, I actually like had conversation with them for maybe like a few weeks. I probably met them a few months before that at a, at a Christmas party, and then after that, like, didn't really know them at all. And they're like, yeah, you can come stay with us indefinitely. Like, yeah, six months, a year, but if you need more than that, like, we don't care. Like, that's crazy, first off. Like, I'm going to need some background check. I'm going to need to... He's a credit score, all that stuff, relationship history, I need to know some things before you just move into my home. But this is the type of love that God shows. Says, Man, I don't need to know all the details about you first before I commit to you. I know that sounds super counterintuitive. It sounds super counterintuitive. But God wants us to show love in the same way that he shows us. I mean, we we take that, like, man, I don't know all the details of it, but I'm going to commit. And then I'll figure out the rest later. So if we're going to show love to the west end of Atlanta, we got to practice showing love in that way among ourselves. And that's difficult, man. Like, I know some of y'all are thinking, like, man, that sounds like a really good idea for the other people in this room. That's great for Jonathan and Andrea and that's, man, they're really godly. <laughs> like all that talk about going out there and having social holiness like, yeah, as a group and we call it social lo- uh, loafing, which is like you know, like a group project, like when you find out, oh, it's a group project, cool, so I'll just kind of come in on the last week, make sure everybody did what they supposed to do and then I'll put my name on it, like, like, no, like, talking about you specifically and the knee-jerk reaction is to have what Moses had. Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Like, Who am I to do any of this stuff to commit before or, or to try to find ways to love people outside of my comfort zone and context? Like who am I to do that? And in asking that, Moses is asking one of two things, really. He's asking, basically, all right, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? So either there's something bad about me that you don't know and you probably should know, or there's something good about me that I don't know that you know. So please let me know. Like, encourage me. Let me know that I have what it takes to do this. Right? Like, I, that's one of two things. Like, he's having this sort of, like, dilemma of qualification. Like, am I qualified to do what you're calling me to do? And look how God answers Moses. He says, he answered, well, Moses, there were a lot of applicants for the job. About 100 or so, and then then, then me and the angels, we really thought 75 or so of those were really just untenable. So we just kind of, like, went down to last, whittled that down to 25 And then it was really up to me to kind of get it down to like five. And then, long story short, you're the best candidate for the job. Really felt like you were, you really fit the vibe of our team we got going on here. Like, you've got the qualifications. No, he says to him, I will certainly be with you. I will certainly be with you. He doesn't even really answer Moses' question. Moses asks, "Am I good enough?" And God says, "I will be with you." Right? No, no, that's not what I, uh, guys, not what I, I asked. Though I just need to know, like, and, and like, do you really think that I should be doing this? I will be with you. I am who I am. He turns Moses, "Who am I?" into "I am who." I am who will be with you. I never said that you'd be good enough to speak to Moses. I'm sorry, speak to Pharaoh. Moses, I never told you that you'd be good enough to speak to Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, we both know you got a stuttering problem. You were stuttering when you asked the question. <laughs> we know you can't talk. It's fine. I never said you'd be good enough. Amen. Cornerstone Church, i never said you'd be good enough to show love to the lost on the west end of Atlanta. Matter of fact, some of y'all was lost on the way here to church this morning because you was late, but that's none of my business, right? Like, I never said you'd be good enough. I said that I would be with you. Like, my presence will be with you. And that's all, you, that's the details you need to know, is that I am who I am. Even when you're still asking, who am I? I am who I am. My presence will be with you. God flips out who who am I into I am who. I am who will be with you. The God who is, the God who exists will be with you. And that's the power that we take going into the world. Like showing love to each other in a very uncomfortable way because as soon as you start feeling like, man, I am good enough to do this, then your vision for whatever God wants you to do is too small. When you start feeling like you know what, I do have the skill set for this. Like, I'm in my territory. Like, I'm exactly where I have planned and educated myself for this. I've read enough books. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I am ready to share the gospel in the hood. Like, I know. I know what they're going to say. Like, I, I, I got this whole template worked out. Like, I'm going to say this. And they're going to be like, well, actually, I don't know if God exists. And then, like, Ray Comfort told me to say it like this. And then after that, I'm going to, like, I know I'm prepared to do this. No, 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 no. God says, I will be with you. I'm about to close. Um, yesterday, I was online. Um, and a friend of mine uh, posted this this uh, article. Uh, like I said, a lot of bad stuff happened in the world, and I'll get right to it. There's a there's a pastor named um, I won't name his name right now, but he admitted to being a serial pedophile, raped a 13 year old girl, got her pregnant twice, and then had her have an abortion twice. I don't even have to get into detail of just how like stupidly wicked that is. But he asked a question after that. His caption of this article was very similar to how a lot of people feel when it comes to suffering in this world. And he asked it in a way that was like people thought they were. he was asking a question to his followers. But I've had conversations with him, so I know exactly what he meant by it. He said to this article, if you knew what this pervert was going to do even before he had the thought to do it, or if you had the power to stop it from happening, would you intervene, or allow free will to have its way? I'm asking for the 13 year old girl. I can't say why God allows so much evil to happen in this world. Like, I, I mean, some of us probably think of like, well, I got some philosophical like arguments that could, you know that deal with the problem of evil. Like, we don't know the specifics of. Specifically why God allows certain evils to happen so deeply and for so long. I mean, honestly, instead of applauding God for sending Moses, the Israelites could really just choose to critique him for for letting them be enslaved in the first place. Or at least for this long, 400 some years like. And so we could do what a lot of people in our world uh, do. We could choose to define God instead of allowing God to define himself. We can define him and dismiss him and say, well, we know there's such thing as evil. But if God were real, there'd be no evil. Therefore, there's no such thing as God. To which I'd have to say, if there's no such thing as God, then there's no such thing as evil. If we're back at square one. Like, There's no such thing as like real, right, and wrong if there's no God who's saying that that is wrong. So, like, this whole, like, man, that whole argument of, like, man, I can't believe God because of how much evil happens in the world. Well, then, if you believe in the evil, then you are certain that there is such thing as, like, an absolute wrong and right that happens that that, that we should abide by in this world. And so, I will say this. I think in those times, like, when we're going out trying to address be socially holy Um, It is okay to be like Moses and to have a very simple theology. I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know why God allowed it to happen this long. I know that it happened. I don't know why. But I got this little index card. And it says, God is. And God cares about the suffering. He sees and he hears your cries. He cares about the suffering. It's okay to have a very simple theology. You don't have to like go and read a bunch of like apologetic books and all that and try to have like this argument. Like the reality is a lot of people don't even care about the argument. It's like, man, I'm suffering and it frustrates me. And there's no philosophical argument that's going to help that. So your theology has to get very simple, and it's God is, and he cares about the suffering that you're going through. And the way that you prove that that's true is that you reflect that. You don't just say it, but you actually come to their rescue, that you identify with them. To prove that you actually care about someone's suffering the way that God cares about their suffering, you identify with them. You can't truly care for someone when you're using distancing language like these people, you people, the Israelites. But I am with you. Like I am part of this as well. And then I'm going to show that in action. That's why God said to Moses, therefore, go. He didn't just say, this is who I am. All right, cool, God, that's good to know about you. He said, therefore, go. Therefore, go. And God believes that so much that he did it himself, that he said to himself, I have seen the suffering of people and I care so much. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. And God cares so much about suffering that he joins us in it. You know, there's a there's a show called Undercover Boss. I thought it was really cool. Like how like the, the high exec, like who's like making, you know, half a million dollars a year or maybe more or whatever. And they want to know like how they're, how things are going. They want to be part of what's, how things are really working. And then so they work for like I don't know however long, dressed up in the clothes of, this, of the people that they work with. So you got execs who normally wear, sh- you know, expensive suits and all that. And they put on the clothes of the regular people and they work. And they have no idea what they're doing either. It's really funny. Uh, And then they, and then so they can know how things really work. And then they're able to help them by identifying with them. See, God comes in as undercover God. They didn't know he was God when he came. Jesus says, I care so much about the suffering that I'm going to go undercover. I Therefore, go. And I'm going to suffer as a human. That I'm going to hunger and I'm going to get tired. And I'm going to be persecuted. And I'm going to be beat just like you. And I'm going to suffer on the cross as well. And so God says to Moses in Midian, he says, he says, go. And I certainly will be with you. But God takes it a step further with us in Jesus. He says, he doesn't simply say, therefore, I will be with you. He says, therefore, I will be you. Certainly, I will be you. In Midian, he says, therefore, I will be with you. But on the cross, Jesus says, I will be you. I care so much about your suffering of sin and and shame and pain that I'm going to suffer physically and spiritually on the cross. That's why the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin, the very thing that God despises, the very suffering that God despises He became that on the cross so that we, that we may be the righteousness of God. And that's the message we can take. It's a very simple message. You don't have to try to figure out all the philosophical argument. We have a God who cares so much about your suffering. You, You say, well, prove it. Well, he did. He did. He proved it on the cross. And he saved us. And now he's saying to us, therefore, go and prove it again. By my power, by my spirit, go and prove it to the people around you that I care about suffering. And I will be with you. The God who is, the God who is holy, the God to be worshipped, the God who cares about the suffering of people so much, suffered with us and as us. Let's pray. God, I admit, um, sometimes a bit myself, and I know that others would include themselves in it. Sometimes we see the, the suffering that happens around us, and we get a bit overwhelmed, maybe even confused, like, man, what do I do? I don't know what to do. But God, you are with us. And like you've called us to plunge ourselves into the problems of this world the same way that you did. And we won't have to do it alone. let you do it with us, God. And it's by your power, by your spirit that we're able to maneuver and navigate through this life. God, I don't know. I don't know all the reasons why you allow certain things to happen for so long, and so intensely, God. But I know that you are good. When I don't know all the specific answers, God, we can go back to a very, very simple theology that you are. God, you are. And you care. We thank you that you care, God. That you could be just the I am. And that would be all you need to be. And you owe us nothing. But God, you are the I am and you are also the God who cares. That you relate to us. And you identify with us. So I pray this morning that you would. By your spirit, begin to show us, God. Give us vision for what it looks like to put ourselves on the line for others as a church, uh, as small groups, as individuals, God. Um, Let us not be overwhelmed by all the things that are happening in the world, God. But first, let us just focus on our part of the wall (laughs) right here in West End Atlanta, God. Um, Give us vision. Uh, A vision that would make us feel inadequate so that we know that you would get the glory in all success that comes from that. Lord, we love you. Not always as we ought to, but we do. Only because you first loved us, Lord, melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal, undying gladness. Fill us with the light of day. Amen. Love y'all.